You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our sermon this afternoon, which will be on Lord's Day 8, I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. It really begins in John 13 in the upper room with the Lord Jesus removing His outer garment, wrapping a towel around His waist, and washing His disciples' feet, after which He proceeded to teach them many things before we know He ultimately went to His death. Things that were undoubtedly very important. Things that He was teaching His disciples for their benefit, for their comfort, and for their assurance. Let's then listen to the teaching of our Lord and we'll... Read the verses 15 through 31 of chapter 14. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God about the Trinity as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 8 of the Heidelberg Catechism. How are these articles, that's speaking about the articles of the Apostles' Creed, how are these articles divided? into three parts. The first is about God the Father and our creation. The second about God the Son and our redemption. The third about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the church has from its very beginning, from its earliest days, confessed the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It has, since our Lord Jesus taught so clearly in that upper room, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons working together for all eternity in complete unity, harmony, love, and glory. But even from its earliest days, this was a doctrine that was confessed in the midst of controversy. Whether it was in controversy with the Arians, who believed that the Lord Jesus was not God, or was not eternally God, but attained to the level of God and was created by the Father. Or the tritheists who believed that there was not one God, but three. Or the Socinians later who outright denied the Trinity. Many in the history of the church have opposed the doctrine of the Trinity. The teaching of the triune God, three persons, one essence. And at a certain level, this is understandable because it's so incomprehensible. But on another level, it's not understandable at all. Because it's clearly taught in Scripture. Beginning in creation, where we already see the three persons of God at work and moving progressively through the Old Testament as we gain more and more of a clear idea about the triune God until suddenly in the New Testament it bursts onto the scene in in full clarity as taught by the Lord Jesus Christ as experienced in His life. It's taught clearly in passages like Matthew 28, verse 19. Baptism into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, with no distinction of rank or glory or equality, one God, three persons. Or 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, which you'll hear at the end of this service, the benediction. The love of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And it's revealed in various points in the life of Jesus, at His birth, Luke 1, verse 35, the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born from you will be called the Son of God, the Triune God. At His baptism, when the Lord Jesus goes under the water and comes up, the voice of the Father speaks from heaven and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Or in His temptation, The Holy Spirit leads the Lord Jesus Christ out into the wilderness where Satan attacks Him and tries to tempt Him away from serving the will of the Heavenly Father. And also, in His death, and especially in the events leading up to His death, we see the Trinity, the triune God, clearly in Scripture. In fact, in speaking to His disciples before His death, the Lord Jesus gives the longest and the most detailed discussion of the three persons of the Trinity in Scripture. We read a part of that together. His teaching in the upper room 
reveals that knowing God in His Trinity is for God's own glory. And it's for our salvation. And it is for our comfort. And so in response to the Lord Jesus' teaching, the one holy, apostolic, Catholic Church of all times and places has, does, and always will believe and confess the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for God's glory, for our salvation, and for our comfort. So we confess the triune God for His own glory. The upper room where the Lord Jesus taught so much about the Trinity is where He chose to extensively reveal the persons and and how they work. And there are many passages there about the glory of God, that is, God's honor and splendor. And that is, in a way, surprising to us that this would be the place where He would teach about the glory of God Because this is the same place that our Lord removes His outer garment. That He ties the towel around His waist. That He goes down on His knees and He washes the feet of His disciples in that act of love. We see Him putting off His glory there. But in what follows, we see Him teaching about the glory of God. He speaks about it repeatedly and he picks up on a theme that is, is larger than just this section of Scripture. You might remember from John chapter 1, the famous words that the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And then John says, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he continues to speak about the glory here in the upper room in In chapter 13, verse 3, he says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, that He had given Him glory. Or verse 31 of chapter 13, where Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself, and will glorify Him at once. Or 14, verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Or chapter 16, verse 12, I have much more to say to you, the Lord Jesus says, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. And He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. And in other passages as well, as he goes on in chapter 17, he repeatedly points to the glory of God. And if we were to summarize those teachings, we can see that the persons of the Trinity are involved in giving glory to each other. The Father gave glory to the Son by putting all things under His feet. And the Father is glorified in His death and resurrection as He follows Him in obedience to the grave. The Son gives the Father glory by hearing the prayers of His people. 
and by fulfilling the plan of salvation for the Father. The Spirit gives the Son glory by speaking the truth of Christ into the hearts of believers. Each one operates for the glory of the other, specifically in the order of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as the Son gives glory to the Father, we read, so also the Holy Spirit gives glory to the Son. And just as the Father gives glory to the Son for obeying Him and following His plan, so the Son gives glory to the Spirit for what He does in revealing and applying His work of salvation to us. Really, what you have in the Trinity, even as I struggle to to speak about this mystery and as the church struggles to confess that mystery, what we have is a God who is most worthy of all glory, honor, and splendor. And the persons of the Trinity who are involved in giving and receiving glory forever. It is an eternally perfect, harmonious, and reciprocal that giving and taking relationship of glory in the Trinity. And when we confess the Trinity in response to the revelation of who God is, That is what we confess. We confess God as He is. Three persons. One God. We believe and confess the triune God who is glorious, who who lives in glory, and who contains all glory, all honor and splendor in Himself. Now, what does that mean? That means that when we confess the glory of the triune God, It includes realizing that God has all glory in Himself. And He doesn't need anything to promote it. He doesn't need His creation to give Him glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give glory to each other. He doesn't need us to give Him glory. He has all the glory. But yet, we know that the triune God has created all things for His glory. He doesn't need His creation, but He was pleased to create this universe in order that it might sing of His glory. Think of what we read in Revelation 4 this morning. You are worthy to receive glory for all that you have created. And God was pleased as the climax of His creation to make man that we might live for His glory. The glory of the triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Giving glory to God is our chief purpose, our highest calling on earth. And if we are to do all for the glory of God, then that must include actively, engagedly, and clearly confessing the triune God. We confess the triune God and we give glory to Him in acknowledging that He is what He is in acknowledging Him for who He is. Though we can't understand it, we stand in awe of the Trinity, the three-in-one God who has existed in perfect unity and love from all eternity. The God who's so great that we can't even comprehend Him. We sound like babbling infants as we try to explain how we can believe and confess one God, three persons. We can't comprehend Him, yet we know that He lives in our hearts by the power of His Trinity. 
The God who plans and decrees. The God who accomplishes and fulfills. The God who applies and sustains us in our salvation. That's who we confess. And so to deny or to warp the Trinity in any way is to rob God of His glory. If God the Father is not the Father from all eternity who lives in love and glory with His Son and who is above all things, then He's robbed of His glory. If God the Son is anything but eternally begotten from the Father, equal with Him, if He is understood to be created, if He is treated as only a man, then He's robbed of His glory. If the Holy Spirit does not proceed from the Father and the Son from all eternity, if He does not testify to and reveal and apply the work of the Son, if He's largely forgotten in our worship, in our prayers, in our lives, then He's robbed of His glory. To deny or to warp the Trinity in any way is to rob God of, the, of His glory. Because when we confess Him as the triune God revealed in Scripture, we confess Him as He is. And we need to take note of that, especially in our day and age, in our times when many play fast and loose with the concept, with the biblical teaching of the triune God. We live in an age where the deity of Christ is scoffed by many. We live in a time where the work of the Holy Spirit is totally misunderstood even by large segments of Christendom. We live in a world where the creation of the Father is not appreciated, and where the concept of the Trinity is skewed in popular literature. It's absolutely essential to the life of the church and to the glory of God that we confess the Trinity as revealed in Scripture, that we have the highest regard for that revelation, and that we seek to understand God's nature and His work more and more, even though we know it is ultimately beyond our grasp. If we don't seek to do this actively, engagedly, following God's Word, then we make Him into an idol, a figment of our imagination. It's only when we maintain and believe and confess the Trinity with the church of Christ that we promote God's glory and we begin to see the three times holy God as He truly is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not only that, but we also show this truth to the world, the world that rejects Him. But we testify to the triune God who has all the glory and who has done all things for our salvation. We confess the triune God also for our salvation. The Athanasian Creed, which we read together, was written sometime around the 500s after the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not by Athanasius, most likely, but it was given his name because it's very consistent with his teachings about the Trinity. And that creed contains a surprising, perhaps a surprising statement to us 
where it says that whoever desires to be saved must above all things hold to the Catholic faith. And then it goes on, now this is the Catholic faith that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity without either confusing the persons or dividing the substance. It's saying there's no salvation outside of believing and confessing the Trinity. Now, why would the creed say that? And why would we agree with that? That it's necessary to believe in the Trinity. Don't we always talk about salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone? Is this not a a remnant, a fossil of a bygone age where people were really concerned with orthodoxy and dogmas and they weren't concerned about other things where they would split hairs about one iota and divide the church because of it? Is this the spirit of the Athanasian Creed and should we continue to hold on to it today? Well, we should absolutely hold on to it today. We need to maintain the confession of the Trinity for our salvation. Think about it. The Lord Jesus Christ. It was absolutely necessary that the Lord Jesus Christ was God. Remember Lord's Days 5 and 6. If Christ was not divine, then He could be charged with sin. And He would not be able to bear the burden of God's wrath against sin. Or the Holy Spirit. The work of salvation is applied by the Holy Spirit. If we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is divine, then we cannot acknowledge the intimacy of the Father and the Son who come to live with us and will remain separate from them. Also, the whole Trinity is involved with our salvation. It was the plan of the Father. We read John 14, verse 30. I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And salvation was accomplished by the Son. That's obvious from the New Testament. And it's applied by the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 through 18. God doesn't leave us as orphans, Jesus teaches, but He adopts us through the Spirit on the basis of the work of the Son. 1 Peter 1, verse 1 verses 2 and 3 sums it up when it says that we're chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Salvation is the work of the triune God. Salvation is the work of the triune God, as are the different parts and facets of that salvation. And it's clearly spoken about in Scripture. Just listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in in chapter 9. He's talking about the atonement. And he says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God? The atonement and our worship is grounded in God's Trinity. Also, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is sometimes spoken about in Scripture as the work of the Father. Other places, it's the Son. At other places, it's the work of the Spirit. Or our election, God's salvation 
applied from eternity is spoken of in terms of the Trinity in Ephesians 1, that God the Father chose us. That we were adopted and redeemed in Jesus Christ. And that it's all been sealed by the Holy Spirit. To remove one person from the Trinity would be to interrupt the whole thing. To remove one person from the Trinity would mean that there is no salvation. We confess the triune God for our salvation because we confess that the triune God is our salvation. The church that removes one person from the Trinity is no church at all. It's not the home of salvation. It preaches a false gospel. It must preach a false gospel. Because the true church believes and confesses the triune God as revealed in Scripture. So let's never stop confessing that, understanding that, and thanking God for His work of salvation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we do, God receives the glory. The Father receives the glory. The Son receives the glory. And the Holy Spirit receives the glory that He's due. And when we do, we're assured also of our salvation. Because we also confess the triune God for our comfort, for the assurance of our salvation. This was actually the prominent purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 14, the verses that we read. That was what He was pressing home to the disciples as He taught them about the Trinity. Notice what He says in verse 27. As He's teaching about the work of the Father and Himself and the Holy Spirit, He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And He had begun in chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. The Lord Jesus wasn't giving a, a dogmatics lesson or, or a bunch of dry dogma so that his disciples could have the right facts in their head before he left them. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that the right facts aren't important. To get them wrong is to rob God of his glory, is to miss out on the comfort that we draw from the Trinity. It's to misunderstand the work of salvation. But the purpose of our Lord was not to just instill facts in the heads of His disciples, but it was to give them comfort as He left them and as He gave up His life and as He would leave them for a long time. The doctrine of the Trinity is great comfort to God's people as they live in this world. It's great comfort to us. It's great comfort we see from John 14, as we already looked at, because of those close interrelationships of the Trinity. And because of that, we know that we're loved by the Father. Jesus says that He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And we're further assured of God's love by the Spirit, who the Lord Jesus says will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. 
And we see more of this comfort where our Lord Jesus teaches about the Spirit as the, the divine homemaker. The one who makes a home in our hearts for God. One who makes us a suitable and acceptable dwelling place for God. Verse 17 of John 14. The world cannot accept Him, that is the Spirit, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but will come to you. The Lord Jesus is saying, I will come to you in the Spirit. Or verse 23, even more striking. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. Can you imagine? God the Father, God the Son, coming to live in our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus ties this very closely with our love and our obedience to God, but even that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the doctrine of the Trinity is incredible comfort to all who believe it, and to all who confess it. And you know, of course, that we confess in Lord's Day 1 of the Catechism that the great comfort that we have in belonging to Jesus Christ is a Trinitarian comfort. Our only comfort is that we belong to Jesus Christ who has redeemed us according to the plan of God who preserves us. And it's applied to us and comprehended by us through the Holy Spirit who assures us. If salvation goes Father, the plan, Son, accomplishing, Spirit, applying. If salvation goes in that order, and the comfort that we receive goes the other way. The Spirit assures us of all that the Son has done to us according to the plan of the Father and for His glory. Our comfort is grounded in the Trinity of God. And as such, it's rock solid. Ecclesiastes, you may know, says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. While the purpose and work of our triune God to come to the rescue of fallen man, to come to the rescue of sinners like us, is even more unbreakable, unquenchable, and unstoppable because it's grounded in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because it was planned by the triune God, accomplished by the triune God, and given to us by the triune God for His glory. May God receive all the glory as we believe and confess Him as He is, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.